Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm so glad that you guys have joined us uh, on this day. Welcome back, students. Uh, let me encourage you, too, to come back tonight uh, for Refuge. Uh, those that didn't make it last week, you'll definitely want to be there this week. Ton of excitement, fun, and joy, really. Um, as Steve said, we're finishing up our series in the Psalms. Took us, it's going to take us all the way to next weekend, which also is the beginning of football season. Yay! The other thing we worship during the weekend. <laughs> So I struggle with it, but like you, I like a good game. I like a game that goes the distance. Usually if it's the LSU Tigers plan, I'd like to them to be far enough ahead at whatever time of the night they're playing that I can go on the bed. But if they're not, I have a hard time going to sleep because as Nick Saban unfortunately taught the world, you need to play 60 minutes of football. We've all seen Alabama come back in the last seconds, minutes, and it just, it's irritating. Uh, but but we, know, we know deep down inside that uh, finishing something you started well is virtuous. So here's my, here's my uh, college picture. Uh, we'll just throw it up there just to kind of get your juices flowing. Um, yeah, football. I think that might be Alabama in the background too. Um, not only is it a virtue in um, sports, but it's a virtue in life that you would finish what you've started well. Some of you are just starting at LSU. Some of you just starting a new job. I've met people that are coming back or new to Baton Rouge. They're just starting and starting's hard, but finishing is even harder and finishing well is extremely difficult because uh, the sun of life will be down on you. You will think, Ali, I didn't know there was a fifth quarter because uh, life will do that to you. It'll be longer than you expected. And um, this is a fourth quarter psalm. This is a psalm written at the end of David's life, not the beginning of his life. And, um, and it, it has a unique feel to it. It has a unique passion to it. And it's really helpful whether you're in the fourth quarter of something or you're in a difficult, dark place. We've called it trust um, in trouble. And David is in serious trouble. Let me give you his backstory. He was anointed king when he was still a very young man. He wouldn't become in, he wouldn't be in the king's role for over a decade. And during that decade, um, King Saul, the people's choice, who was half-hearted, um, Went, went off the rails and God said, look, I'm done with you. And I've anointed another one. But David said, I'm going to trust the Lord's timing on how this is all going to work. Saul said, I'm not going to trust the Lord at all on this. I'm going to kill David. And so David took off into the wilderness, fleeing from King Saul. And um, after a decade of running, we looked at some Psalms where he was in the wilderness um, David actually becomes king and the, and the kingdom is established in Jerusalem and all things kind of come together. And then um, David has multiple wives. Uh, if there was ever a, uh, uh, a case for not having multiple wives, it would be this story. Not only does he have multiple wives, but he has multiple families with wives. And so they're, they're princes vying for the kingdom is where this is going. His most handsome son, or so the Bible says, is his son Absalom. He is, he's a stud. 
He is, uh, he's got long, beautiful hair, think 80s rock band. And that's what, that's Absalom. And he is just, and Absalom has a sister who is absolutely gorgeous. And his half brother, Amnon, A-M-N-O-N, he falls in lust with Tamar, not love, lust. He is sick in lust for her. It's, the Bible says he makes himself sick. The Bible uses the word love, but I'm, I'm extrapolating and translating that to what happens. And he wants her so badly that he makes himself sick and he gets in cahoots with someone else and they scheme to seduce her. It's an age old story of seduction. He seduces her and rapes her and then discards her. Bible says he hated her after it said he loved her. That's why I translate it as not falling in love with her, but in lust. It's a, it says that he could have his way with her because he was stronger physically than her. She pleaded with him, don't, don't dishonor me, don't dishonor God, don't dishonor Israel. Well, when Absalom finds out about this, he's furious. He takes his, his wounded sister in and he loves her. And he's certain that his father, King David, is going to do something about this half-brother of his behavior. Nothing happens. One year goes by, two years goes by. Absalom is furious. And he says, hey, look, family, there seems to be a little family tension. Why don't we get together at the lake house, the summer palace? and work this out. Why don't we get together and just, I mean, it's been a while since we were all together. Some of us are old enough to know what those family gatherings are like and they're tense and this one was tense, so tense David didn't show. But Amnon did and Absalom's men killed him. Now Absalom's certain. I mean, this is, this is all recorded in 2 Samuel 13, 14, 15. It's all there. Now, now he's certain that his dad is gonna come after him and so he kind of goes into hiding. He crosses the river. He goes to see his uncle across the river and he stays there for years. And finally, after things kind of die down, he moves back to Jerusalem, but he never sees his dad. And he's, he's certain that, you know, things are kind of okay. So he starts hanging out. He starts putting out some feelers and he starts telling people, hey, why don't, if you've got some problems that you need to bring to the king, just bring them to me. I'll take care of them. He begins to act as if he's king at the city gate. So people start coming to him. He's talking to some of David's key people um, in, his, in, his, in his council, and he wins some of them over. And before you know it, Absalom just finally says, I'm king. I'm king. My dad is not. I'm taking over. And by the time David hears this, he only has one option, and that's to run. That's to run. Now, it doesn't end well for Absalom. Absalom kind of goes after him. David says to all of his uh, people, please do not kill my son. Don't kill my son. Funny story about the hare. It's actually what gets him in trouble. Imagine him riding along on his horse, hair flowing. He's just Mr. Cool. He gets caught in a tree, yanks him off the horse. He's just hanging there. Absalom shows up and said, you kills him tells David, breaks David's heart. David's lost two sons, his daughter's wounded, his kingdom's fractured, and he's in the wilderness trying to figure it out. These are low moments. <laughs> These are difficult moments. This is where the words of 
um, Psalm 63 are spoken. Can, can you imagine losing your family, losing everything you've, you've worked toward? And the answer is yes, some of you can. Some of you have lost lots. You've lost children to rebellion or drugs. You've lost marriages to infidelity. Yours or theirs. You've lost businesses to selfish or bad decisions. You've lost community because life is hard. So yeah, you can absolutely relate to what this is like. And how in those moments do you trust God? How in those moments can you find enough to hang on to? David's words are going to help us. David is going to take us through and help us get there. So I want to pray for us. I want to start by saying this, our identity and security, which is what David is going to find himself trusting God for, are based in his character and not his circumstances. Our identity and security is going to be based in God's character, who he is and what he's done for us, not, not our circumstances. So I want to pray for you. Some of you are finishing a chapter and it may be going well and it may be going badly. I don't know. But it's usually not the last chapter. If you're here today, you're probably not on your last chapter that you know of, right? So let me pray for us. Well, Lord Jesus, we come to you and I pray for those here today finishing a, a job, a, a chapter, a semester, finishing school, maybe a relationship, a season of parenting or caring for parents, for those whose lives have been turned up died turned upside down because of what they've done or because of what has been done to them. I pray that your tender mercies would be present today. That as we see the Psalm of David, that we would trust you more. We would find your, your character to, to sustain us. Lord, I pray for those of us who are battling the definitions that others want to put on us the identity that they want to impose on who we are. Lord, I pray for those here today who are their worst enemy, the first to denounce themselves. I pray that we would look to you and only you for our identity and security, that we would lean into your character, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It seems David is described as a man after God's own heart. This psalm and this story will help us all understand why that is. It's not because he's perfect. Just read 1 Samuel 11 and 12 and you'll see he's far from perfect. But what he is, is he loves God. And so the harder life gets, the better he seems to be in word and deed. So the first thing in times of trouble, trusting God's in times of trouble, is to seek God and that's what he does. He seeks God, seek after God. Look out for him in every area of your life. Here's what it says in the first four verses. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. 
and in your name I will lift up my hands. What beautiful, powerful word. I mean, you can, you can feel it. He wants to be with God. He longs to be with God. God, my God. Is that how you refer to God? My God? Is that how you, you claim is yours? Because that's how God wants us to refer to, our, to him. He's my God. I know him. I personally know him. I long to be with him. Because that's what love does, doesn't it? It creates a longing. There's a lot of young love that blooms around the campus. Maybe not in the fall, but in the spring for sure. Right? And I'll get here early someday and there'll be somebody, there'll be some student here. And I'll go, hey man, what you doing? Well, I'm meeting so-and-so. There's no coffee. There's no one here. I mean, what? I just, I just kind of want to be with her. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Right? That's what love does. We don't want to FaceTime forever. We want to be with David's like, I'm, I long for you with everything in me. I want you near. And that's what love does. It drives us. I want to take a car ride with you. I don't mind spending all day in a boat with you, fishing or not, catching or not catching. I just want to be with you. I just want to hang out. Of course, David's in a very difficult situation. He wants more than the hangout. He's desperate, and it shows up over and over. And he says, and I've seen you in the sanctuary. He remembers. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld the power of your glory. Wow. And because your love is better than life, I'm going to praise you. Your love is better than life, as Aaron said. It's one of his favorite verses because he's going to, it's, it's, I'm going to sing. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. So under seek God, we have these complimentary words, earnestly, because that's what it says, and worshipfully, worshipfully. Um, a man of the fourth century, a guy named John Chrysostom, I have a hard time saying his name, I bring him up because I want you to know that people have been rallying around this psalm for a very long time. Christians have found this psalm to be such a help in their struggle in life. He says this about the psalm. The fathers, those are, those are church leaders of the 100s and 200s. The fathers of the church appointed Psalm 63 to be said every morning as a spiritual song and a medicine to blot out our sins, to kindle in us a desire for God, to, to raise our souls and to inflame them with the mighty fire of devotion. It makes us overflow with goodness and love and it sends us with such preparation to approach and appear for, before God. Do you know what it means to earnestly seek out something? It means you give your mind to it. It means you give your heart to it. It means you give your rest to it. Let me explain what I mean. Those things where you spend your mind thinking about, that's what's going to then pull your heart along. And then when you put your heart into it, that's what's going to cause your whole being to wrap around it. And then when you rest in it, man, you're there. I drive a 2007 Ford F-150. Love my truck. Love my truck. Um, because the Lord gave it to me, I love it. I'm going on a journey of 300,000 miles. I'm not quitting until we get there. We're at 251. Starting to show a little wear, but that's okay because you know what? I wash her, take her through Benny's, 
I focus on her. I clean out her mats. She's the object. I'm earnestly seeking her. I cheer for her. I put in synthetic oil. I care for her. You know what I don't do? I don't go to the website that shows all the new F-150s. <laughs> I don't gaze at them and notice how their bodies have changed shape. If some of you think I'm being using a double entendre, indeed I am. <laughs> I don't look at the new features that they might have. I don't let my heart wander and think, gosh, I wonder what it would be like to be in that one. The last thing I'm going to do is get in one, a new one with leather, without 1,700 drips of coffee on the front seat. Why? Because I'm dedicated to my girl. She looks good when she pulls out a Benny's. She's full of character. The dents on the side, that's where some Yahoo ran his bike into me. <laughs> I looked in my side mirror and there's a biker collapsed on the side of my truck holding on as I'm driving. I have these beautiful memories of trips we've made together. The mud that I can't get out from under the well, that's because I made a bad decision and took her where she wasn't designed to go. And we got stuck together. You see what I'm doing? Yes? I earnestly, I seek you. When times are hard and, and you say, you know what? I am going to be satisfied right here. Right here. I'm going to give all my emotion of my mind, of my heart, of my rest then the Lord is powerful and shows up. It's a decision. I'm not going to have wanderlust. I desire you. I remember you. Huh. He worships the Lord, which is what we want every week. Having the room this full, you can hear the voices. It's beautiful. It's what we long for. We can't all sing like Aaron, but we can all sing. We can all sing with our posture, with our hands lifted up. It's a, it's a posture of receiving. Whenever you change your posture, it affects, it affects you. We worship. And the more we do this, the more he permeates and my desire for him permeates everything my work, my relationships, my marriage, my parenting, my friendships. It just keeps going and going and going. Verses five through eight. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I will remember I remember you. I will think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I will sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you and your right hand holds me. 
I will choose to be satisfied in God and him alone. That's what he's saying. In the wilderness of Judah, where David is running from his own son, food is scarce. There clearly is no water. There is a need to put watchmen out three hours at a time all night long because it's dangerous. The nights are long. And in the midst of all of that, he says, I will be satisfied in you as the richest of foods. I've got a little uh, charcuterie board, or however you say that word here. We all know what the richest, we eat the richest of foods in Louisiana. People come here and go, how many sticks of butter can you put in my spoon? Right? Yeah, I don't know. It depends on how much you boil. How much sugar can you? How much crab meat needs to be on top of a crab dish that's based in crab sauce that was baked around crabs? More is what we say. Right? But most people that come here are not used to it. And they're like, I can take one bite of that pecan pie. It's too sweet. It's too rich. I can't, I can't eat them. That's the richest affair. David's saying, all I need is a drop from you. And it's like the richest affair. It is so awesome. And it's a stark contrast to the dry and barren land he's in. He continues and he says, I'm going to, uh, on my bed, I'm going to remember you. I'm going to think of you throughout the night. Some in the room are old enough to quit sleeping all the way through the night. Some of you don't go to bed until the early morning. That's a different story. Go ahead and change. There you go. This is the current strategy my wife has. Let's just move the clock and I won't know what time it is, but it's not really working. That's not my wife, by the way. That's just stock photo Sally. Uh, Some of you don't know this. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, she's just staring at it. I don't know about you, but if you wake up in the middle of the night, what is it that your mind goes to? Most of us, it immediately goes to work and we're trying to shut it down so we can get some sleep. And David says, you know what I'm gonna remember? I'm gonna remember your goodness. When I wake up through all the watches of the night and they're long, I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna remember you. I'm gonna remember the good things that you've done at night. And under the cover of night out in the middle of the wilderness, I am going to sing because you're my protection. He says, I'm going to think of you in the watches of the night because you're my help. I will sing in the shadow of your wings like a chick under the wings of its mother. Not afraid to say or speak because why? Mom's got it. She's got me covered. I can speak. I can do. Of course, many birds do this. And this is what David's thinking of. You've got me. You, you're, you're protecting me. I'm going to be satisfied in you. I'm going to remember you all night long. I'm going to sing under the protection of you. And I'm going to cling to you. I'm going to cling to you. But more importantly, you're clinging to me. We have our, our grandsons now. We have a, a one-year-old grandson. He's got the super fat little hands. They're kind of square. And all the knuckles have a dimple. And... Um, I love this look, you know, when they hold on to you. And he's absolutely no help. You put him on your hip, it's like he's a bull rider. He's back. He's just, he doesn't hang on much. It doesn't really matter how much he hangs on because he's too big. The important thing is that I'm hanging on to him. Did we already show this picture? Yeah. It's not that she's got dad. It's that dad's got her. David's like, I'm holding on to you but you're holding 
unto me. So being satisfied often means remembering, and in remembering, I'm clinging. That's what's happening. I'm clinging to you. Have you taken time to write down all that you need to remember about what God has done in your life? This week, this month, this year, throughout COVID, you need to type it up on a sheet that you can see, the font that you can read in bad light, so that in the middle of the night when you wake up, you can go, yes, and just start thanking him for this. It makes all the difference in the world because we're so easy to forget. We're so easily distracted. We're so um, overcome by the noises of our world that we can't hear the still small voice of God saying, do you remember this? Do you remember that? That's how we cling to him. We remember his goodness. David is seeking after God and he's satisfied in God and he's going to remember him all night long. He's going to sing to him as he does it with total trust and I'm holding on to you. And your right hand, most people are right-handed, it's the strong hand. That's what that means in the Bible. I'm left-handed, so my left hand is stronger, but most people are right-handed. So the strong right hand, it's the strong hand. You've got me. And we continue in verse nine through 11. Those who wanna kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and will become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. This is a king and a father who's not sure how the story's going to end. And he's basically saying, those that are fighting God, God can take care of it. I'm not sure. I'm not really sure where I fall. But God's a big boy and he can defend himself. He always does. And those that are out to defame him and to take from him, they end up like their corpses are all over the desert. They don't even get a burial. The wild animals pick them apart. And then he makes this great statement, the king. He's speaking of himself. One of the most difficult things in the Christian life is to live from the identity of which God gives us rather than the identity that we choose to give ourselves, or that we inherit from the people and society around us. When you reach in your wallet and you pull out your ID, it has certain things written on it. The date you were born, your height and your goal weight, <laughs> right? It's not your real weight, it's your goal weight. Whether you're an organ donor or not. But that's usually only necessary for legal things. Most of the time we have a different card that we show. And for some of us, the, the print is really small. So small that you really hope no one can read it. Because all it includes are my mistakes and the accumulation of my errors. Who are you? I'm the accumulation of my past mistakes. Others of you have this huge font which describes all your victories and all your successes and that's what you lead with. Others of you have just a wallet full and you don't even know which one is the real you. 
People say this is who I am. People say this is who I am. What, what's the, what, what, what do you, which one do you want? I want the one that tells me who you are. Oh, that's God's. That's the God card. That one's different. That was gold. Yeah, but do you live by it? The Bible says when we trust in Christ, we become new creations. We're not what we once were, and we're not all that we will be. We have been changed, and God is changing us. It says we're redeemed. What does that mean? It means that we have been personally purchased out of the marketplace of sin, and we are no longer a slave for sale to sin. Jesus comes in and says, that one I purchased. And you will come with me out of this arena. And now we're free. We're loved, not a little, a lot. We're deeply loved. We're completely loved. We're fully loved. We're loved unconditionally. And while parents would like to say we love our children unconditionally, it's not true. And while we'd like to love our spouse unconditionally, we can't. There's only one who can love unconditionally, and that's God. And the sooner that we quit trying to be God, the better off everyone else will be. And when we look for others to give us the unconditional love that only God can give us, we're constantly disappointed. But God says, I love you. Totally, completely, and thoroughly. That's part of your identity. I am loved. Wow. I'm a child of God. There are no grandchildren in heaven. You don't get there on someone else's faith. You get there because you've trusted in Christ. I'm a child of God. That's who I am. I'm an heir of the kingdom. Some of you have really jammed up and worried about the retirement years. I get that. But God says, hey, you know what? You're a co-heir with Christ. Your final days are not your days on earth. Your final days are with me, and I've got you covered. Ah. I'm a temple of the, of, of the Lord. It says so right here on my card. It also says so in 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6. It means the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and my body's not just uh, something I can choose to do with what I want. The Holy, temp the Holy Spirit dwells within me and that makes me different. And that makes my body different. I've been chosen. God wants to be with me and, and love me and hang out with me. I've been blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? My past is forgiven, my present is empowered, and my future is secured. I'm blessed. I'm absolutely blessed. I'm free. If the Son sets you free, Jesus said, you're free indeed. Free to do what? I am no longer a slave of sin. I am free to be a slave of righteousness, which I sign up for. And who am I? I'm all of these things. These describe me. I'm sealed. I'm God's masterpiece, it says in Ephesians 2.10. You're God's masterpiece. That means he doesn't make any junk. That does, it means that you have value, that you have worth, and that you have good works that he has designed in advance for you to do as a Christian. And guess what? Those of you who are over 50, maybe over 60, maybe over 70, you never age out of this. You don't go, yeah, I'm done. God's never done. There's some things that he's calling each of us to that he, we're uniquely designed for. I'm the light of the world. I'm the light for the world. Wow, if we could be so, if we, if we could be as excited as a 21-year-old to get the new license where it's not long ways but sideways, every time we had a chance to tell people who we are, 
this is who I am. And the print is legible and it's full and it's for any and every situation. David says, the king, I'm going to be king until God says I'm not. <clears throat> and I'm going to function and I'm going to trust God. So rejoicing in God means trusting and releasing. The, if you want to know what trusting feels like, it's what we release to God. What do you need to release to him? The expectations of how this chapter of your life was to go? The children that you're raising? The adult children that you're watching? The business plan that you had for your life? What do you need to entrust to him and release to him? My son and daughter-in-law have not been away from their children really ever, maybe a couple nights. They're on a cruise. We're so excited for them. We want to help them do that. I loaded the boys in the car and I'm driving off and the window's down and there's mom in the driveway. Is she trusting me? Not on your life. <laughs> She's got everything imaginable cross. There goes grandpa, it's got classic rock play and this is not gonna go well. <laughs> but she's trusting. When David left the city, he didn't leave by himself. They came to him and said, hey, king, your son's saying he's king. There's a lot of commotion. We've got the limos outside. We've got the cars packed. We need to go. Commander-in-chief Joab is with him. Others are with him. The high priest is with him. The high priest is named Zadok. And Zadok says, good, okay. Let me get the priest. Hey, guys, would you go ahead and get the ark? Get it out of the temple there? Let's go, because the ark goes with the temple. I mean, it goes with the king. The ark goes with the king, the real king, not this Yahoo that's trying to take over. And as they're leaving, David says this to Zadok. This gives you his heart. Take the ark back into the city. If I find favor with the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and I will see it and his dwelling place again. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. He has released, not his calling, but how it's working out. I'm gonna trust you. And these are the indications that this is a man that's trusting God in the deepest of trouble. And he's releasing all of that to God. He says, my identity is in God, my security is in God. And therefore, our identity and security are based on who God is, his character, not our circumstances. And the most accurate display of his character is him sending his son, Jesus Christ. You want to know what God's like? Look what he did with Jesus. He sent his son to die in our place, to rise him from the dead victoriously, that we might be able to say to God, you're my God. That we might be able to say to God, you want to see my ID card? It says, child of God. I have trusted Christ and he has transformed me. I want to end where we began. You, you God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and I've beheld your power and glory and because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name, 
I lift up my hands. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for our morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the life of David and his steadfastness to love you no matter what. May that be true of us. Lord, I pray for those here that need to remember, that need to earnestly seek you, who need to worship you. Lord, I pray for those who need to trust you again and release to you things that they have once released but picked back up. Lord, I pray for those here today that have never trusted in you. They've never put their trust in you. They can't say for sure that you're their God or they can say for sure that you're not their God. I pray, Lord, that they would trust you today. If that's you, I invite you to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ right where you're seated. Bow the knee of your heart and declare your trust in him in a simple prayer like this. Lord Jesus, today, I trust you. I trust that your death on the cross was for me and it made a way. It paid for my sin and my wrong that I might be able to call you my God. And I believe that you rose from the dead victoriously, that you might give me life, new life. And so today, with all I know about me, I trust you. I call out to you. And I thank you that you hear me, that you'll forgive me, that you'll receive me into your forever family. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me to trust in Jesus, to say yes to following him, I'd love to talk with you about that, what your next steps are. I'll be over here at the New Here Start area. I'd invite you to stand. I would invite you to stand up right now because we're about to sing this song, God, I Look to You. It's a great opportunity to sing loudly and it's a great opportunity to lift your hands. Historically, the chapel is not a very expressive congregation. I don't expect to change that on a Sunday, but maybe we could enjoy it for a moment. So I encourage you to lift your hands in praise and sing loudly. Aaron. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.